everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And today we're talking to Nicolette Mason about a whole mix of things from the serious. We're talking about protesting and allyship and anti-racism and also some some light stuff. We're also talking about skincare and about her fashion brand and about her dog's wardrobe, which is something I also care a lot about. Yeah. But before we get into it, this episode is sponsored by Night, the makers of our all-time favorite pillow. But now they also have face masks, which we are so excited about. So we can't wait to tell you more about them later in the episode. But if you'd like to take 20% off your night order, you can use code BOP20 at discovernight.com. So before we get to Nicolette, let's do highs and lows. So Grace, what's your high? So my high is mostly just like spending time on my patio, which I feel like is always my high, but there's not a whole lot to live for these days. Um, Just being out on the patio with a book, a glass of rosé, it's been really nice. Um, Usually I start my morning out there. I'll like respond to DMs and like drink coffee. Then I'll go inside and work. And then when I finish work, I sit back out there and um, change out the coffee for some rosé, which is nice. Um, And then my other high is that – It's full speed ahead on Amazon. I'm going to have to work this weekend because I have to put together the mood board for it, which I'm so excited for. I want to see. Yeah, I present everything to them on Monday. So when this episode drops on Wednesday, I will have already presented my concept to them. Oh, I'm so excited. Can you give me any hint of like, is there a color that will be featured or? I'm actually leaning toward more towards neutrals for this. Oh. Maybe like some of that fiery red orange again because I think it goes really well with camel and gray. But um, the two big things that I really want for this collection are fall nightgown dresses, like dresses you could wear with tights and like a big sweater over them or a blazer um, or a little leather jacket and a matching set. Like I really want like a pair of like elastic waist palazzo pants and like a um, knit like top in the same pattern so cute yeah so that's like a big thing that I want Um, can you also make it a three-piece set so there's a jacket I don't think that I want to do a jacket I don't like I'm saying this lovingly I love working with Amazon but like the price points I want to keep them all really affordable and I don't think that I can make a jacket that's like the level of quality that I'd want okay that's fair yeah so That's I'm thinking fair. like a fun matchy-matchy set, some dresses, and we'll see what else. Well, I'm very excited. Yeah. So I have – first, I have an update from last week's high because my high last week was that I was excited that we were going out to a restaurant, and we did, and it was wonderful. It was so nice. It felt it felt fine. Um the restaurant was being very cautious. All of the tables were spaced out and there were actually dividers between the tables mm-hmm. and it was outside and all of the servers were wearing masks and you know people were wearing masks when they weren't eating. So overall it felt like a good experience and it felt like such a treat. Yeah. To be waited on and to eat food that I didn't have to cook and that I didn't have to do the dishes. It was wonderful. I don't think I'm going to make a you know, daily habit of it. But, you know, every week or couple weeks, it's nice that we have the option to eat outside at a restaurant. It was so nice. It was so nice. Um, And then also my low last week was that I was feeling nervous about work and money. And I think maybe it was just something I had to put out into the universe because um, I've had like three new leads come in and I'm feeling much better about my prospects. I haven't signed any of them yet, but I feel optimistic. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So that feels good. Yeah. 
But then on the low front, I feel like my low is that everything feels monotonous. So we're recording this on Thursday, going into the long weekend. And first of all, I can't believe it's July. Wait, is it a long weekend? Are people taking Friday off or Monday off? Friday. Oh, I'm not. Okay. I never know these things. Okay. Well, corporate corporate America, corporate is, America off tomorrow? is off tomorrow. Okay. This is a funny thing about blogging. Like I'm alone in my little bubble and I don't even know when things are holidays. Okay. So it, the 4th of July is a Saturday. and Yeah. But I thought since it was a Saturday, there's no days off. No. Oh, okay. Cool. I just feel like everything's a drag. Like there's not, other than not doing work, there's like no real differentiation between like weekends or weekdays. And, you know, not that 4th of July is a holiday that I would normally celebrate, although maybe I would be away for a long weekend. I'm just like, it just feels like another weekend in a long chain of like nothing weekends. I don't know. I feel I feel like quarantine is getting to me. And obviously I'm I'm sure a lot of people feel this way. It's important to wear masks and to still be safe. So I'm not suggesting that we should do anything different, but I'm saying mentally it's it's like getting to me a little. Well we'll do something fun on Saturday. I hope so. Yeah. I just I feel tomorrow I'm real focused on getting us that spot at Dumbo House. Great. Yeah. But I I feel you. Yeah, I just feel like meh. I don't feel yeah. bad. I just feel like meh. Yeah. And like looking down the barrel of the gun of a summer that seemingly a lot of the country, the rates of COVID are really high. So it doesn't seem like things are going to, quote unquote, get back to normal anytime this summer. Yeah, I know. So yeah. What about you? Mine is just that I really miss my parents. Um, usually 4th of July has mostly been a family thing like I would go to Cape Cod we would go to the fireworks we would eat lobster rolls so like I really associate the fourth with being on the Cape um and I would have gladly gone to Charleston but that's not an option I'm just like feeling it like I really miss my parents I talk to them like every day but I do not like being this far and not knowing when we're gonna see each other again because now South Carolina is so bad that like if you go to South Carolina you got a quarantine back in New York And obviously, I'm not getting on an airplane anytime soon. So I just won't be seeing them for a while. I'm sorry. That's a bummer. Yeah. So shall we get into this interview with Nicolette? Yes. Okay. We are so excited to have our friend Nicolette Mason with us today. We have known Nicolette for years and years now. Um, I think I met you, I met her um, during her days as a contributor for Marie Claire. Nicolette is an LA native, but moved to New York to go to Parsons School of Design. She's contributed to dozens of fashion publications and worked with countless brands. And in 2017, she launched Prem, which is a body positive plus size fashion line with her friend and business partner, Gabby Gregg. She currently lives down the street from us in Brooklyn (laughs) with her partner, Nina, and their adorable petite pug, Frankie. Frankie is one of my all-time favorite animals. You guys should know this. And I just feel like we have so much to talk about today. We've been dying to get Nicolette on as a guest for a long time now. Um, And she has been an outspoken advocate for Black Lives Matter, especially Black trans lives. And she's also a wealth of knowledge for all things skincare and fashion. And obviously, we have to talk about Frankie, too, because Frankie is perfect. She really is perfect. I know I'm biased, but I think I have one of the best dogs in the world. I love her. And wait, I'll be the judge of that. I haven't met her yet, but I'm very excited. Um, I love all dogs. (laughs) How many outfits does Frankie have? Does she have her own closet? 
She has a small wardrobe section. It's not a closet, per se, because it's New York City. Closet space is incredibly precious. But it is um, several baskets in my closet. And, you know, she has a lot of different seasonal attire. She has some occasion pieces. Uh, She she loves to wear clothes. And if you have a purse, if you were to judge on her behalf, what would you say is her best outfit? She kind of, like, really loves edgy streetwear. So, um, you know, things that, like, are a little bit tough and edgy, but she can still be her demure pug self. I really think of her as, like, a street style maven, for sure. What a vibe. Like, loves hoodies a lot. Okay. She she can rock a hoodie. Yeah, she looks great in hoodies. Does she have any shoes? Does she have rain boots? Shoes are a sore spot for her, and she hates them, which mm. is not something I have in common with her. I love shoes. Um, she also hates hats. She hates wigs, but loves apparel. So okay. all about a sweater, skirt, dress. Uh, I even bought a bikini for her once for oh the beach. God. It was very oh my cute. Um, yeah. So pro tip for anyone who also has a small dog, Target's baby clothes are fantastic for dogs, small dogs. What a learning. We're learning already here today. Yeah. Yeah. So Nicolette, Grace introduced you and we're so excited to finally have you on. But before we get into our conversation, could you tell us a little bit about who you are in your own words? Yeah. Um, that's so hard. I don't even know where to begin. I know. It's but, like the worst yeah. question. Like when like, you go on a date where? and somebody's like, what are your hobbies? And you're like, I don't know. I don't have hobbies? any. I don't have hobbies. Um, I do have hobbies. Uh, but okay. My name is Nicolette. I was born and raised in Los Angeles. I moved to New York City 17 years ago this summer. Um, which is wild to believe that like I'm old enough to have lived in a second location in my life for 17 years. But anyways, I do. I have. I am a writer, a strategist. Most of my work now is consulting for brands um, and uh, helping them on diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, also on how to create really effective and community-focused strategy. Um, And Prem obviously was a big brainchild for myself and Gabby. We decided to close the brand last year, and uh, that you know gave me more time to be able to focus on a lot of these strategic initiatives. And then the thing that people know me the most for <laughs> is um, body positive advocacy and content creation. So I started blogging in 2008. That led to uh, working with Marie Claire. I'm being brought on as a contributing editor there. I had a column called Big Girl in the Skinny World for five years that I did not name. I feel very important for me to say that I inherited the column. I almost Um, said the name in in the (laughs) intro and I was like, I don't think she'd want me to say say the name of the column. I did, I did. I'm very, very proud of the work I did there, but I did not. It was name a great column. column. Um, so I just, you know, it's important for me not to take ownership and credit for things <laughs> that I did not create. So um, that was a big part of my life, and it led to a lot of opportunities: designing capsule collections for brands, working with other publications, doing some hosting and digital and TV segments. So. It's been a lot of fun, all unplanned and accidental fun. It's a, I actually have a really funny story about how I landed at Marie Claire. I, I want to include. I want to hear it. Well, okay. I also want to know, kind of from Parsons to <laughs> now, like, have you worked for yourself your entire career, or was there a part where you were in house doing something for yeah, somebody else? There was. So yeah, that it that's that can get us to this 
funny, funny story. I think it's funny. Um, yeah, so I went to Parsons School of Design. I studied design and management there, which is a really cool program because it focuses both on business and design disciplines and creative. So it's very much a right brain, left brain um, program. And uh, while I was there, I did a lot of internships. Some of them were in fashion. I worked at Chanel while I was in school. I worked at a strategic consulting firm that was focused all on women-owned and uh, women-marketed initiatives and uh, a couple other design agencies as well. And when I graduated in 2008, great time to graduate from college. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like people who are graduating in 2020 are going to be able to relate to us a lot. Uh, Because it's a very scary job market to graduate into. But um, so I graduated in 2008 and I went to work at a architecture interiors and branding firm here in New York City. It's one of the biggest agencies in the world um, in that discipline. And while I was working there, I started blogging as well just to have my own creative outlet. And because of the way the economy was changing and their clients were changing, even though I was there as a brand strategist, a lot of the work that I ended up doing day to day was like signage for banks. Because (laughs) if you remember, like at the time, all of the regional banks of the world were being acquired and snapped up by the really big national banks. And so it was literally like redoing the signage and ADA and egress compliancy um, signage for all of these regional banks that were being acquired. And it was just incredibly unstimulating for me. Like when I started, I was doing a project for Christian Dior's pop-up store. And I did a a really amazing project for the New York Public Library's children's room. And like those were so, so fun and creative. And then like rebranding a Wachovia to be (laughs) Bank of America was like not not the hopes and dreams that I moved to New York sure, for. You sure, know? I like, can see it, that. It really wasn't hitting the spot. And so I started blogging at I the never same knew time. any of this. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I started blogging at the same time. And, like, I didn't think anyone was going to read a blog. It was just, like, kind of like Pinterest before Pinterest existed. I just wanted a place to, like, have my own inspiration and my own creative outlets and be able to write about – runway collections and architecture and art. And so that's what my blog was in 2008. And I remember like looking at my analytics one day and I was like, oh my God, 70 people looked at my blog today. And I was shocked. And I was like, and it's not just my mom, like other people are looking at this and paying attention. And um, so around the same time. Wait, sorry to interrupt, but was your blog named Nicolette Mason at first or did it have another name? It had a couple it, – it was always nicolettemason.blogspot, but okay. I also at one point had um, my favorite color, Shiny, that I didn't realize another blogger like also had a very close name to that. Her okay. name is Ginny Branch, and so I never used that name because I like very quickly was like, oh, no, someone else has this. Um, and so I always use Nicolette Mason. Okay, you were smart because a well, lot of us just had really terrible blog names. You have to mash two things so, together, yeah. like a pattern and a food. Well, you have to like remember, like at that time, people weren't really blogging, and it wasn't monetized, and like certainly they weren't doing it with the intention of people seeing it. Yeah. So, like 
I had no intention of like my blog being a destination that people cared about or were, would look at. It was just like, oh, of course it's my name because this is like just for me. Yeah. Um. So I didn't brand it in that way. It's funny because I didn't want anyone to read mine, but I didn't want anyone to know my name <laughs> because all my coworkers would have found it. That's so true. I made mine stripes and sequins. Yeah. And didn't show my face for, like, the first few years of doing it. That makes sense. I mean, I I had, like, a very funny point where I ended up resigning from my job um, and explaining to my boss at the time, like, yeah, I'm going – I think, like, this is going to take off in some capacity. I really want to pursue fashion writing. And he was like, okay, good luck. Like, best best of luck to you on your blog because I don't know about that, girl, but – No, while I was working and blogging, um, body positivity online was like in its very early rumblings Um, and in terms of like fashion as a whole, paying attention to some of those conversations and Vogue Italia was doing an initiative where they launched under Franca Sazzani uh, new verticals for the Vogue Italia website. And one of them was the curvy section in 2009. And so Gabby, Greg, and myself were among two of the people who were brought on to contribute to that platform. And about a year after that, I was brought into Marie Claire. And the reason why was because I wrote a blog post talking about how I thought Marie Claire was doing such a disservice to their plus size readers by not really offering fashion and not really giving anything aspirational and kind of like focusing in on a lot of the tropes that plus size women are told they shouldn't wear. And it just didn't feel inspiring to me. And it felt kind of body shaming in a lot of ways. And so I wrote this long blog post and I got an email from uh, the deputy editor at Marie Claire. And they were like, hey, uh, we really want to just talk to you about something. And immediately I was like, oh shit, like they're going to sue me. They're going to make me take my blog down. I don't know what to do about this. I like had just quit my job to try to pursue fashion writing and what am I going to do? And, um, in that first meeting, they were like, we really appreciate and agree with your point of view. Would you be interested in taking on this column? And, It was just this like totally surreal moment where I thought I was going to be punished (laughs) for being outspoken. And and that's kind of been a common thread in my entire career, especially, I mean, the last 12 years, it's been a common thread, but especially the last few years, like I have consistently been outspoken and called out brands and called out publications for the ways that I thought they were mishandling or misrepresenting or mistreating marginalized people of many, many different identities. And um, that has somehow like become the biggest part of my career. Yeah, it's weird, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've built an amazing career for yourself. And Thank like, you. not just like the fun things like fashion and beauty, but also by being that outspoken. And I don't know, it's, it's very inspiring, I think. Thank you. I mean, I want to be honest about it too and say that I know it has cost me a lot of opportunities along the way, and there's no way for me to even have insight into what I have potentially, like, quote unquote, lost or sacrificed in making that part of my platform from the very beginning. Um, but I think it's the way that for me, I I have been able to like do something that feels 
like it has the most integrity for myself and that it's as honest as it can be for me. And that um, I really feel like I've been doing my best in a lot of ways. Not that there isn't room for improvement. There always is. And I think like I've definitely gained a lot more awareness and insight, but um, I'm really, really grateful that that's always been part of how I've approached my work. So one of the things we wanted to talk to you today about is allyship, especially in our current times. Um, And to preface it, we have read a lot of places um, or heard from Black women that we follow on Instagram um, that a lot of them are saying, don't look to Black people for advice on how to be an ally. Look to other people who already are allies to give you advice on that. And so um, you are somebody who we've thought has done a tremendous job with your content and kind of shaping your point of view around allyship over the past however many years, not just the past month. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to bring you on to talk with us, especially for us and people who might be listening who are maybe just waking up or having some of these hard educational moments and conversations with yeah. themselves. Um, I really appreciate that perspective, first of all, because I, I think it's important for people to do the work themselves and not to turn to people who are marginalized or oppressed in this situation with Black Lives Matter, turning to Black people um, to do the labor and the emotional labor, especially of educating us. I think the concept of allyship in particular is really interesting because I don't know that I'm qualified either to talk about what makes someone a good ally. And the reason for that is because I don't think that anyone who strives to be an ally can label or identify themselves as an ally. I think you have to treat being an ally like a verb rather than a noun. And it's not an identity. It's not a label. It's something that you do and you practice. And so to be an ally ultimately means that the people who you are trying to be an ally to give you that. It is not for me to decide if I'm an ally to Black people. It's not for me to decide if I'm an ally to trans people. Um, But hopefully the feedback that I get from them uh, is that what I'm doing is helpful or productive. Um, But I just, I think that's a really important thing. Like we've talked about this a little bit, but um, there's this automatic need or desire for people to label themselves as not racist and say, oh, I'm not racist. People are so scared to be labeled as racist that they immediately jump to the defense of that. And I'm starting to see people treating allyship in that way too, where they meet any sort of criticism or conversation or call in around race as, no, 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 I'm an ally. And um, yeah, so I just think that's a really important thing to keep in mind. Totally agree. And the other thing I'll say is that we've had a lot of requests from our audience to bring on Black anti-racist educators, which is awesome. However, so many of those people already have podcasts and have created that content for years. It exists. It is out there for us to consume. So it feels like somewhat of a disservice to say, no, come to our platform and do this work for us. Yeah. Where 
they've already created the work. Yeah, I think that's really, really important too. And one of the ironies in this conversation that's happened over the last month, especially, is the centering of um, White Fragility, the book by Robin D'Angelo. I think I'm saying her name right. And she is a white woman who has profited off of this conversation in a really big way. And that's not to discredit the book or to say that it's not important. But when people are only turning to other white people as the authorities on the subject, when we have people like Ibram X. Kendi and Layla Saad and so many writers of color and particularly black writers who have been writing about and teaching about and studying these subjects not just for a few years, but for their entire lives, uh, it becomes its own like perpetuation of racism. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wait, so Nicolette, you and Nina have been out practically every day. Like I watch <laughs> your stories. Really, Nicolette's one of those people I never miss her stories. But um, every day, marching at different rallies, at different protests. Like, how are you doing? And also, what are you doing to take care of yourself so that you can keep? doing this work. Thank you for asking. Um, it's honestly, it's really hard, but I think that one of the most important things that I can do as someone who strives to be an ally is to show up and show up in the capacities that I'm able. And one of the ways that I am able right now is to show up at these protests that are happening throughout New York City. It is hard. It's exhausting. Uh, it also means like being, especially as a non-Black person and People are listening to me, so they don't know what I look like necessarily. But um, I'm a very, very white passing Middle Eastern person. And part of the privilege of living in a body that's red as white for me means being on the front lines and being able to be a barrier between the police and people who are visibly people of color and especially black people. And knowing that the color of my skin is very literally a shield when it comes to things like police brutality. And so it has been really important for me to show up as much as I'm able. Um, I've shared some of it on Instagram. I haven't shared most of it because of safety reasons and concerns. Um, I think this is something that's important, too, to talk about a little bit in terms of just Internet uh, safety and the way that uh, social media content has been monitored by law enforcement as a way to... Um, arrest people or bring them in for questioning or uh, unlawfully detain. But a lot of pictures that people have shared on social media have been used to identify people at protests and either charge them for crimes that they didn't commit or be able to trace them to other incidences. And so it's just it is really important not to put it all online if you are showing up. Um, I've shared some of it, especially from the pride protests and so on that happened last weekend, because I hope that it's encouraging other people to show up too in the ways that they're able and, uh, to think beyond the way that they're sharing on social media, for example, what anti-racism things they're sharing or amplifying, but like, what are the direct actions that we can do in our lives too? Um, so yeah, that's just one thing. I think it's like important to be cautious of what we're sharing. And it's also why when I go out to protest, even though it's the middle of summer in New York city and it's a million degrees, I am wearing long sleeves because I have tattoos that make me very easy to identify. And, um, 
anyways, yes, it's exhausting. This week in particular has been really, really hard between uh, the New York City budget protests that have been happening and Occupy City Hall's protests. Um, I've been to a few of their rallies and then also the pride protests that were this weekend. I think it really all hit me yesterday, honestly, probably a full 24 hours after the Queer Liberation March and the pride protests and the way that the police violence really escalated on Sunday um, during the march that it really just all hit me at once. And and I felt like deeply depleted and exhausted. And so um, later this week, I'm taking a few days off. But right now, it, it's still a, a very critical time. Like the budget um, deadline is tonight in New York City. So, you know, it's all hands on deck until then. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about for people who maybe people who don't live in a major city who mm-hmm. are curious or people who do live in a major city and are nervous to protest. Can you tell us a little bit about what the experience has been like? And I think I think from what I've heard, it's a spectrum of different experiences. Yeah. And then also, if you have any tips in yeah. terms of what you might want to bring or like what mm-hmm. you might not know that you've learned from doing. Yeah, I think some of the things that have been really interesting to me have been the way like the pro- protests have been portrayed on media. And one, um, they're like mostly not being covered at all anymore. And it's very exciting that yesterday marked 30 days of sustained action and protest in New York City. Um, so they're still happening. The movement is not dying down at all, <laughs> despite like the waning media coverage and support. So that's the first thing. It's very much still happening. I think it is important for me to acknowledge in this conversation, I have an enormous privilege in being in New York City because there are so many phenomenal organizers and activists here who are truly, truly on the front lines. Can I interrupt you for a question, a sub question? How are you finding out about protests? Mostly social media. Okay. Um, So following organizers and uh, different organizations on Twitter, on Instagram. That's been the biggest source of information for me. Um, There's also messaging apps like Signal, which are encrypted, that a lot of organizers use to communicate with each other and to share information. So I use that as well. Um, But yeah, there's a lot happening in New York City. And I think the biggest misconception is that the protests themselves are inherently dangerous. Um, they're not, (laughs) no one's armed, first of all. Um, that's a really big one. They're incredibly well-resourced in terms of making sure everyone has PPE and every single person is wearing a mask because we are still in the middle of a pandemic. There's a lot of supplies that are shared, whether that's water, making sure people are hydrated, food to make sure they're fed. Anything you need is available thanks to organizers and volunteers. There's even a lot of medics that are volunteers at all these protests to take care of each other. But the turning point at most of the protests that I have personally been to has been when police arrive or show up and they begin to escalate the um, situation. And that's my personal experience. It has not happened at every single protest I've been to. Um, It happened this weekend at the Queer Liberation March. It happened the first week of protests. And here in New York City, um, the police escalated a few times. I had friends who were beaten and arrested. Um, One friend 
had his arm broken and needed stitches on his head because he was beat up by police uh, without any instigation on his part. And uh, but that's, you know, part of what we are protesting is police brutality and excessive force and uh, in particular targeted excessive force and police brutality against black and brown people. So <laughs> that is some of the the thing that I think is is important to talk about, but also why it's important for white people to show up. The police are much less likely, unfortunately, unfortunately or fortunately, which however way you look at it, to inflict harm and violence against white people. And that is you know, I, I don't want to tread into the territory of having a conversation of like, oh, but there are some good cops. As a whole, the institution that does have a problem with bias. And that's reflected throughout statistics on police violence. It's reflected in rates of incarceration between black and brown people versus white counterparts. Um, it is very much a systemic issue. So it doesn't really matter on the individual level if a cop is good or bad because the system is inherently flawed and biased against people of color. Um, so I think the most important thing to do is show up and it's also okay if at a certain point you're uncomfortable and need to leave. Uh, but to also interrogate that and question like, okay, is the harm going to be done to me? And is my presence there going to prevent someone else from being harmed? And the answer is usually yes, <laughs> that that the more people who are there, the less likely there is to be harm inflicted. Um, other things in terms of safety, just like wearing comfortable shoes <laughs> and clothes, um, making sure that you have something to cover your eyes. In the case of uh, some of the protests, there have been tear gas, not here in New York City um, that I know of, but this week there was a lot of pepper spray used against protesters. So having something to cover your eyes, to be able to flush out your eyes, if you do come into contact with any of these chemical agents, um, medics also supply all of that at the protests. Gosh, I'm sure there's more that I'm not thinking about. But... I've seen people say like, turn off your phone and take the SIM card out. Is that necessary? Um, I think it depends. For some people that I th I think like for me personally, my relationship with social media is that like in a way I've kind of already resigned myself to the fact that everything is being surveilled all the time. Like I yeah. have a career that hinges on social media. Um, so I don't know. I think like for, for some people who uh, are organizers and activists, that's more of a necessity for me as someone who's showing up. And I don't necessarily consider myself to be an activist or someone who's really on the front lines. Um, it feels less critical, but uh, I think it's really helpful for people to have their phones and document what's going on for their own safety, not necessarily for sharing it on social media, but you know, in case of, you know, what happened this weekend at the Queer Liberation March, it was really important for there to be footage and photos showing what happened so that people can say, <laughs> look at it and say very objectively, like, yes, like there was excessive force being used. I don't know if that answers the question, though, but that's my personal yeah. POV. I have a question. I've seen many events that are I guess not quite positioned as protests. So mm -hmm. 
vigils mm-hmm. or um, uh, there's like meditation mm-hmm. gatherings or something. Do you think demonstrating in these group ways that, you know, have maybe less chance of escalating to yeah. violence, is that still meaningful or is your opinion that people should, if they are able to um, be out mm-hmm. marching and using their bodies yeah. as a blockade or? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think they're all meaningful, honestly. I think any action that you are doing to think critically around issues of race um, and systemic discrimination, anything that you're doing to learn more proactively, especially when it doesn't hinge on the emotional labor of people of color, um, that is an important and valuable action. I also think, I, or I want to say, with the protest, the goal and hope is never that it escalates. Of course. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's really, really important. Like the protests are consistently very, very peaceful. They're very calm. They're very self-controlled. They have a purpose and they have a demand associated with them in terms of, you know, for example, right now, like the Occupy City Hall protest has a very specific objective but the goal is never for it to become violent. The organizers are predominantly very anti-violence. And that's something that I think, too, has kind of like been lost in um, the media coverage. And especially the first week, it was ta- it was all about like riots and looting. And, and that's not something I've personally experienced or seen at any of the protests. And it's certainly not the intention of people who are showing up for it to escalate. So yes, all of the different forms of action and showing up are important. I think the visual vigils are really important. I think meditations are really important. I do think kind of checking one of those off of the list and saying like, okay, I did my work and counting that as the only action is a problem. Um, I think that it has to be part of our entire action plan and part of the ways that we are confronting our own inherent racism, how we're confronting institutionalized racism, um, and not just racism, also classism and homophobia and transphobia and all of these different forms of bias and prejudice that are ingrained in us. Um, I think all of them are are a constant unlearning and a re-education because it just isn't something that was part of our formal educations and wasn't part of our socialization at all. Let's talk about action outside of protesting. Mm-hmm. If somebody is unable to protest or lives in a city where there's less protesting, mm-hmm. what are other forms of action that anyone can take? I think one of the most important forms of action, besides actively listening to Black people and other people of color, besides actively reading the work of Black people and other people of color, especially as it relates to racism and anti-racism, is having conversations with your friends and family. And they will be difficult conversations. They will be confrontational conversations at times. Hopefully not. Um, But I think that is one of the biggest things. And especially around the 2016 election, there was a lot of conversations around, oh, I'm just unfriending these people because we don't have the same views. And obviously, there's different levels of friendship and connection. If I'm just like 
friends with someone on Facebook who I've never talked to and met at a party once in 2009. And I just found out they're a bigot. I don't need to stay friends with them on Facebook. (laughs) No one needs to do that. But when it's someone that you have a relationship with, especially when it's family, especially when it's someone who you do have a closer relationship with, I think unfriending them is really harmful. And it doesn't allow room for growth. It doesn't allow room for learning. Um, But engaging in conversations with those people around race, around bigotry, around maybe even their personal politics is a really, really important and effective tool. And um, I think no one like is born to, to borrow the phrase woke into this world. Like we have to learn and unlearn all of this shit. And like nobody is born hyper conscious. Um, around race issues and around sexuality, gender, what have you, ableism, all of it. Um, It's all information that we have to actively learn. And if people are cut off from different access points to gain that information, um, they're not going to learn. (laughs) So I really think like that is by far the most effective thing that people can do is talking to their friends and family around any of these topics. And and just, I don't know, like I had a really interesting conversation with my mom who absolutely strives to be an ally to LGBTQ people. She's a phenomenal friend and advocate to queer people of all kinds and certainly to my friends and to people in my chosen family, but still like doesn't really understand everything around um, transgender issues or trans identity. And we had a really amazing conversation where she just had the opportunity to ask me questions without judgment. And that's really important too. I think it's like being a resource for other people and allowing them space to ask questions without worrying that they're going to be judged or criticized um, and having room to wrestle with some of these topics a little bit because it's not something everyone understands. It's not something everyone has insight into or personal experience with. And I think so much of the bigotry that exists in our world, especially in this country, is just stems from ignorance and people really not knowing or being able to identify in their own lives how these issues are present. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our favorite sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Knight, the makers of our favorite pillow. But besides the amazing pillow and the scrunchies and the eye masks and all the other good things they make, today we want to talk to you about their brand new silk face masks that they recently launched. So if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I have quite a wardrobe of face masks. This one is an absolute favorite, and I was so excited when Knight introduced masks because when you think about it, it makes so much sense. The brand was founded on finding materials that combine efficacy with beauty benefits, and having the silk in the face mask is so good for your skin, so lightweight, and it just like feels really good on your skin, and it won't break you out. I've gotten DMs from readers being like, can you do a blog post about face mask skincare? Because like my whole jawline is broken out. I'm I'm just like, I don't know, like put toner on afterwards, but also get the night mask. Yes. So this mask is my favorite too. And I've started to like it even more now that the temperatures are just so much hotter. It's one of the only ones that is comfortable in the heat. But 
I didn't even realize that I was having this problem until they solved it. But my skin just, it definitely gets less irritated with the night mask than it does with other masks. And I've been using the mask for like, I think about a month and a half now, and it has skyrocketed to being my number one fave. It doesn't irritate my skin. I can wear it in hot weather, and I just don't get as much of that feeling of like gross, hot breath inside my mask. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, What I really like about it is the smart design. So it has adjustable ear loops, so I can pull it snug. But it also has a nose clip, which is so crucial so you can form the mask to your nose and your breath isn't going to fog up your sunglasses. Um, We both went with the blush pink, but they come in four other cute colors, blush, gunmetal, black, and champagne. And the masks also come with disposable filters. And here's one of my favorite parts about this product. So for every mask purchased, Knight will donate five surgical masks to a local New York City hospital. And they just launched these masks, and they've already donated over 10,000 masks. And that's incredible. That is really great. So as always, we have an offer for you. If you want to try Knight's masks or any of their other amazing beauty sleep products, you can head to discoverknight.com and use code BOP20 at checkout. Again, that's discoverknight.com and use code BOP20 at checkout. Back to the episode. Let's flip the conversation a little to education. Sure. And content. So I want to know a little bit about, I don't know if you're comfortable sharing, but about kind of like your own experience educating yourself on these Mm -hmm. um, topics and what resources were helpful to you when you were maybe um, first starting to learn about them. Um, Honestly, mostly from my personal relationships with people and listening to them. Yeah. Um, So I I feel incredibly privileged to have a really, really, truly diverse network of people around me um, and in my immediate circle and uh, being able to listen and learn from their experiences and, and really not asking them for labor, obviously, but sitting with whatever they were sharing with me um, of their own volition Mm -hmm. and volunteering with me. And then the other is reading and following and um, consuming media, like TV shows, documentaries that are created by people of color or created by trans people. And um, give us specific recs. I want to hear what what you love. What are your recs? Um. In college, I was introduced to Audre Lorde for the first time. That was when I first started reading her books. Uh, And that was a really big open door for me. Um, James Baldwin was another one. Um, So some of this is, yeah, definitely write them down. So some of it is nonfiction. We'll put this in the Um, show notes for you guys. (laughs) And then, uh, you know, in the era of influencers and content creation, I've always followed a lot of people from different backgrounds. And my personal influencer ecosystem has always been very multicultural and diverse and um, diverse in terms of LGBTQ identity and uh, that's something that I've always felt pretty proactive about and seeking. And through following them, I've learned a lot. And, um, you know, following activists who are online, like Erica Hart is a phenomenal resource. Uh, and they share a lot of other writers and thinkers and activists and 
Angela Davis is an enormous resource in learning about uh, specifically conversations around prison abolition and law enforcement. Um, in terms of film and documentary, Ava DuVernay's 13th, I think, is required viewing for everyone. Um, Laverne Cox's documentary, uh, Disclosure, that was just released on Netflix last week, I think is also essential viewing on understanding trans identity and, and specifically how trans identities are portrayed in media. I haven't seen that yet. It's yeah, I'm looking forward incredible. to that. Um, also, I think hard and challenging for a lot of people to watch because without being aware of trans issues or race issues and so on, I don't think a lot of people are aware of how inherently transphobic and racist and problematic a lot of the media we consume is, and a lot of the tropes that exist in popular culture are. And uh, that's a really hard thing to confront and understand. Um in terms of other resources, uh, Malcolm X is a really important <laughs> thinker and writer. There's a reason that we have streets named after him in every major city in America. Uh, I think people default to Martin Luther King as the only civil rights era thinker um, in their repertoire and, and in their you know knowledge. Um, Malcolm X was really important and had very different views than Martin Luther King. Aldridge Cleaver as well. He was part of the Black Panther movement and was someone who I was thinking about this last night. I had a history teacher in high school, probably around my junior year, who assigned Aldridge Cleaver to me. And I think specifically because she knew I was very interested. In, <laughs> and, and I went to like an all Jewish high school, also middle school and elementary school. So I didn't have a diverse upbringing, but um, I've, my family is multicultural and my mom's family is Iranian and came here as refugees. And so that's really informed a lot of my experience and a lot of the way that I think about uh, race, especially in being super white passing. And that's a whole other conversation. But but yeah, I had a teacher in high school who assigned Eldridge Cleaver to me as like a, a person for me to study. And that was really illuminating. And one of the first times as like a 16 or 17 year old that I really began understanding the ways that Black people in particular are treated in this country and, and the history of oppression in this country, because it wasn't something I really learned about in other parts of my like formal education. Um, but in being assigned this one project in high school, I like really learned a lot. Yeah, I certainly didn't. Maybe in college, but in high school specifically, yeah. like learned a very whitewashed history. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's you know the phrase like history is written by the oppressors is absolutely true, and um, I think it's it takes a lot of active and proactive re-education to kind of undo this like very, very whitewashed history that we've been given. I mean, I can't believe like people get married on plantations. And, I know. Like, that's, that's still a thing. I can't believe that like in all of our learnings around slavery that we didn't also learn about the genocide that is inflicted on people. And um and the way that people like 
George Washington or Alexander Hamilton or Thomas Jefferson uh, are not vilified in the way that they should be and how it's kind of written off of like, oh, it was a different time. And um, I think you can only, oh, it was a different time so much before just forgiving people for the atrocities that they inflicted on others like it's it shouldn't be a hail mary pass and i think sometimes it was a different time is used that way uh and is still used that way (laughs) so i don't know i feel like it was a different time was used about like the 90s yeah (laughs) absolutely yeah i mean even like things about like some of these youtube stars that are coming out and like okay they're younger than me like it wasn't a different time five years ago when shane dawson showed up in blackface on youtube like that was not okay then either <laughs> so yeah. i actually don't know who he is but i, I don't yeah, feel like i'm gonna bother to learn it's- i don't want to learn either i've seen him all over yeah. my social media with people being upset with him and i'm like i don't know who this is but he doesn't sound like someone i need to know about yeah um I mean, he's a he's a really big YouTuber. I don't closely follow a lot of the YouTube drama. Like, that's not my platform. It's not my media. But, you know, a lot of different super racist things have come out in the last couple of years, especially of, like, content that people created. And, um, you know, it's being, like, talked about again in light of the current conversations and... I think like the real apologies and accountability are only just starting to happen and that's important. Um, But anyways, yeah, like we can't say it was a different time in perpetuity and like, let that be like, we we can talk about George Washington or different people in history and also be honest about the bad things they did too. (laughs) So I think there's just like a way to be objective in our learning and in our understanding of history And, um, you know, it's just like so entrenched in so many parts of our culture. Now, switching gears a little bit, I'm curious about your favorite black content creators to follow or activists Mm -hmm. or also black trans people to follow. Because I know that I follow a lot of black content creators, but I don't follow a lot of black trans content creators. I'm hesitant to answer well, we can that this because one I don't necessarily want to disclose like people's identities that if oh. it's not part of um you know their public platform I also want to be mindful of not objectifying people for being black or for being black and trans um but I will share some who are very you know that is very much part of their platform and a big part of what they talk about um Absolutely, Erica Hart. I already mentioned them earlier. They're a non-binary Black femme who lives here in New York. And they and their partner, Ebony, do a really, really incredible job of sharing and documenting and educating. Um, Erica is a sex educator. And so that is a big part of their background and their platform. Uh, But that obviously relates to issues around race and class and history. Um, They do a remarkable job of talking about American history in a more honest and accurate way. I also, if you do end up following them, want to encourage uh, paying them in in some capacity for the work that they do. And I think that's a good practice in general, that if someone is sharing information with you, especially if it's something that 
takes emotional labor um, to compensate them for their time and their energy in whatever way feels right for you, whether it's sharing them on your social platforms and amplifying the work that they do, encouraging your followers to compensate them as well, sending them um, a contribution on Venmo or Cash App. A lot of activists also have Patreon pages. Um, so that'll lead me into another one, Blair Amani, who is Black, bisexual, and Muslim. And it's a big part of what she talks about. And a big part of her activism um, is talking about the intersection of race, sexuality, and religion for her. Um, Blair Amani had this quote, which I'm I'm going to butcher, so I don't even know if I should try. But earlier in the month, she had this quote about, don't just read books by Black people about slavery or about oppression, like yeah. also read about Black joy and yes. Black life. Yes. Yeah. And it was something that I've carried with me. And there was also a very similar quote from Nick Stone, who's a um, children's author or a YA author who mm-hmm. said something very similar. And I feel like that's something that I've like held yeah. very close during. Yeah. Like read that time. Jasmine Guillory. Well, do both. Don't yeah, do, do certainly both. do both. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. And I like this is a whole other conversation, but kind of like if you're only looking um, to black people or it, topics around black culture as it relates to like trauma porn um, or suffering, that is also perpetuating racism. Danielle Prescott was talking yeah. about that on her stories one day. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Danielle Prescott is someone who I will shout out as well. Um, Chrissy Rutherford, um, both of them have made really incredible contributions to conversations in fashion, um, specifically around race. Uh, Nikki Oganaki is another one. She's an editor at GQ now, uh, a friend of mine as well. I've known her for years. There's a very long list of people. It's, 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 yeah, it's hard you for gave, me to narrow it down. You yeah. gave these are people a few stars. Yeah. yeah. In terms of also queer content creators and influence to follow, um, Yari Jones is someone who I love. She's an actress, model. Her tag, I believe, is I am Yari Jones. It's spelled J-A-R-I. And uh, I just adore her. Like, she really exemplifies like black joy to me in a lot of ways. Um, and she is openly a trans woman. And it's a, a part of her platform and visibility. I'm also going to shout out Janet Mock because she's a personal friend. I will be honest about that and transparent about that. But like, I uh, genuinely am also like a fangirl of hers. (laughs) She's a best-selling author, a writer. She is a writer for Pose, um, which if you haven't watched Pose on FX, you also have to watch Pose. Uh, It's on Netflix as well, so very easy to stream. Um, Didn't she also direct one of the episodes of – is it just called Hollywood? What's the new Netflix show? Yeah, yeah, Hollywood. Oh, my God. That – that needs to come back. Yeah, I loved. Was fantastic. I watched that in like a day. Um, it was amazing. She is one of the writers and producers on Hollywood as well, and um, just one of the most incredible people I've ever had the privilege of knowing and loving. And 
yeah, I feel like exceptionally proud of her. We were both contributors at Marie Claire as well. And uh, yeah, there's so many, but I really want to encourage people obviously to diversify the content that they consume, but also not objectify people for their identities or to tokenize them for their identities. Like hopefully it just becomes normal for people to consume content from lots of different kinds of people. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, I people can follow me because I share and amplify a lot of these accounts frequently. Um, and you can also DM me. I'm happy to send you a whole list that specifically speaks to your interests. Well, let's talk about content creation. Yeah. So we had at the beginning of, well, we're recording in June. This is coming out in July. So I'm speaking from a mm-hmm. June perspective. We had Blackout Tuesday and we had kind of a week of amplifying melanated voices. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, some content creators were like, well, I'm going back to normal. Um, And I think a lot of other content creators are trying to figure out what is the balance. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that you do such a great job balancing. And so what is your personal philosophy on like, or is it even something that you think about in terms of like what – how you share. Yeah. I mean, I think it is and isn't something I think about, if that makes sense. Like I'm really, um, really bad at being an influencer in the traditional sense that (laughs) I don't, I'm being honest, like I don't care about my, like growing my, that's not true. I care about growing my platform, but I'm not like looking for ways to like grow my platform or seek new followers in an aggressive way. Um, I'm not going to do a loop giveaway. I have never and will never do a loop giveaway. Um, I like, you know, some of the conversations around like, oh, like you should be looking at your content that performs the best and producing more of that content. If I did that, I would only be posting photos of myself in swimsuits and lingerie. And I don't want to do that. So (laughs) a lot of the quote unquote, like best practices of content creation and being an influencer, um, just don't feel authentic to me. And I think part of that is because when I started this, I never intended it to be a career and I didn't have a roadmap that I was following. I wasn't looking to other people to figure out the formula of what to do. I've kind of just like done it organically um, for a very long time. And and I'm not saying that in a way that anyone should do what I'm doing. I don't think it's effective. (laughs) I think, um, you know, it like if it is something that you want to pursue as a career professionally there probably are best practices that people should be doing um but for me it's always just been really important to be honest with myself and do the things that felt most authentic and true to me and i'm sure there is a way to integrate all of that and i think grace you do a phenomenal job of of doing all of that in a really authentic way i just don't know that i found that for me but <laughs> I do think consciously about this, like, going back to normal mm-hmm. that some people have done. And it's, like, a very stark and disorienting difference when you look at someone's feed. And it's like, oh, you had, like, three days where you talked about this or you posted a black square and that was it. That was your one action or that was your one opportunity to use your platform to have this conversation. Um, and For me, and I think for a lot of my peers, it's about finding the new normal and uh, how we want to create content going forward. 
not about doing what we were doing before, because what we were doing before, frankly, was not enough. And that applies to me, too. I don't think I was doing enough um, to amplify people of color, to uh, share them specifically on my feed. Like, maybe that was in my stories, but, like, why was I treating my Instagram feed as, like, something so precious that I wasn't putting it there, too? And um, that was a big learning for me too. Yeah. Was the feed like I I really like fucked up my feed, and I you know what like it did not affect my personal brand yeah, at all. And exactly. like now I really just don't care about my grid at all. Yeah, me either. Like, if it doesn't need to be. <laughs> it was actually like really liberating. Yeah, like when I posted stuff that just did not like go. I guess like mm-hmm. with the feed, and it did way better than my other content. Yeah. I was like, oh, it doesn't have to always be me in a cute dress. Like, I'll still post me in cute dresses sure. sometimes. Yeah. But, like, for me, it's like I can do both. I can, like, talk about skincare, and I do all the time because I'm obsessed with skincare. Yes. But I can also talk about issues around race and class and sustainability because it's all related, actually. Like, it's truly all related. Like, people think that – the dress that you wear doesn't relate to race issues, but it does in so many ways that I could start listing. But I want to be conscious of the time that we have too. Maybe we'll have to bring you back for another episode. <laughs> well, I would like to acknowledge now that we are going to take a sharp right turn into right. other matters mm-hmm. that we want to talk to you about because we did crowdsource some questions. Oh, we got to cool. talk about skincare because okay. you have amazing skin. And it's something you and I always bond over is skincare. I would also like to talk about what's making your hair so shiny and if that's natural or if that is something I can buy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we can talk about all of it. Where do you want to start? Hair? Whichever. Um, So I I do genuinely use the Pantene um, sulfate-free rose water shampoos and conditioners. Um, I've tried a lot of really expensive salon products. It's just the thing that works best for me. And they're paraben-free. They're non-toxic. But specifically the rose water nutrient blends, I believe it's called. Um, I stopped coloring my hair. Okay. I've never colored my hair. Yeah, that's a big I've one. I stopped so. coloring my hair and it's not looking good. And I, <laughs> you know what? I can't wait to color it again. <laughs> this was not a strategic decision. I didn't realize that was your natural hair color. Yeah. So I thought your hair, hair was more little, of a brown. I was a bleach blonde for five years. It destroyed my hair, but it looked cute as fuck. So <laughs> I dealt with it. Um, but I went back to close to my natural hair color like two years ago and my hair is a lot healthier and happier for it it's very um, shiny yeah it, it is very it is yeah, it truly is right. like i'm is there a serum is there something that we're putting on um, it or it's truly just the shampoo conditioner it's the shampoo and conditioner jam. i use their mask also about once a week uh i don't use a lot of hair products in general I like oils. I love oils. I love oils for face. I love oils for hair. I love oils for food. Um, specifically, Brightland olive oil. Also. Oh my god, that olive oil is it. so good. Fine, I'll buy <laughs> it. The, the lemon one in particular, and the gold pores that you made me buy for them. Yes, and the the whatever, whatever it's called, the little spout. Um, what kind of oil are we changer. are we buying for beauty? Okay, so for hair. I love the Crown Affair oil. Um, I've never even heard of that. Also has a great rose oil that I love. Um, But other than that, I really don't use a lot of hair products. Okay. Um, That's kind of it. What about about our skin? I will use every oil on my face. As long as it doesn't have coconut oil in it, I can't use. Same. Um, So I 
steer towards like non-comedogenic oils. I love rose oil. I love a cannabis oil, a jojoba. What's your philosophy? That on- Lord Jones um, face oil that we got is amazing. It's really good. Yeah. What's your philosophy on natural products versus not chemical? That sounds very harsh. Um, I mean, it, toxic. I, I call not it. toxic because I think there is something in <laughs> I between. I say conventional skincare conventional. brands conventional. Sure. versus clean. Yes. yes. That's the terminology I use a lot is conventional versus clean. And it's the same in like a grocery store. We have our conventional produce and we have organic produce. Um, so and with natural, like there's some natural products that are toxic. Totally. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And, uh, so my general philosophy, um, it changed a lot over the last couple of years. I have autoimmune diseases and I specifically have celiac disease and I have lupus. And I started researching a lot about the ways different, obviously food, I know I have to be super conscious about, um, because that is a very, very immediate reaction and flare up for me. Um, with skincare, I wasn't thinking about it as consciously until a few years ago. And I started researching and learning a lot more about some of the ingredients that are in conventional beauty products and how they might be interacting with my body and being absorbed by my body and causing flare ups. And so I've started making the switch to all of my products to be clean and and non-toxic. Um, and I think I apply kind of like a 90-10 rule. Okay. Like yeah. if I'm going to an event, I might do a different eye look and that'll be a non-clean conventional brand of cosmetics that I use. But the products that I use on a daily basis, um, I absolutely prefer to use clean products. And the other side of it besides like my personal body and my autoimmune stuff is honestly from a sustainability and um, environmental perspective. Uh, the sourcing is really different for clean products versus conventional beauty. Um, the emphasis on cruelty-free is really different. Uh, supply chain and fair trade is really different when you look at those worlds. And, um, you know, finally, just like the contaminants that are going into our water and our food supplies. Uh, and I think that I realize that being able to make those choices are ultimately financial choices for a lot of people. I have an enormous amount of privilege, but I think that one of the responsibilities that I have as a person with privilege is to make more sustainable and environmentally friendly choices for people who cannot. Like, I really feel that I have a responsibility to do that. And I understand that not everyone can, but I think that if we are able to, it's important to be a little bit more um, discretionary with what kind of products we're buying. So what is your, what's in your ride or die arsenal of things you use? Biosons. Yeah, Biosons for sure. Um, Biosons has been my go-to. And I think I I was like really clinging to my Sunday Riley good jeans for a very long time um, as my lactic acid serum. But once Biosons released their version of their lactic, I... I like haven't been using the Sunday Riley products at all. Um, I switched those out too. Yeah, we, we both loved that it, product. It so was much. a holy grail for me. Same. Like Sunday Riley Good Jeans was absolutely my holy grail desert island product, and um, yeah, I'm I'm very happy with the switch to the clean version uh, through Biosense. Their rose oil is an obsession for me on the makeup front. Um, Kosas is my go-to. Love Kosas. And Love Kosas. 
And Ilya, too. I love them Have you both. tried their eyeshadow palette? I have it. It's my f- um, I just bought it, but okay. I haven't tried it yet. It's my favorite. It's so pretty. Yeah. Their products are amazing. I think especially in the early days of Clean Beauty products, they didn't really have like the feel of real makeup. And I hate to say it that way, but they just didn't. It, it felt very health food store. Totally. I feel like clean skincare um, came like became viable before clean makeup did Mm -hmm. yeah wait what's your favorite mascara i always ask anyone who loves clean beauty um ilia i love and the say beauty mascara i really really love too yeah Yeah. those are my two faves you should try the tart one too i just got into that i have it on now is it day mascara um i want like a night i don't have a natural night mascara okay pretty thick and volumizing okay i think i feel that this is more of a nighttime look but i dressed up for you guys Okay. I need to see how my um how my eyes have fared in the very humid walk over. Oh, I think it looks they great. Look great. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did okay. Yeah. Are so you this wearing the same? Oh, this is the Ilia. Ilia eyeliner and mascara. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ilia was my favorite, but then I tried say, and I honestly can't tell which one I like more. And then the Tarte one's good too. Yeah, I'm gonna have to try the Tarte one. But it's so nice having options. <laughs> yeah. Like. For so long, I, I was just like, well, I, I like can't abandon my Wander Beauty yeah. mascara. I like, love it so much. Mm-hmm. It's, it's still a great mascara, but yeah. I like having clean options. Yeah. Unconventional uh, Glossier Lash Slick was my favorite. That was my other I favorite, I love the, too. the um, plastic comb brush. Yeah. Love. It's great. Yeah. But then, see, I think you're going to like the Ilia one. Okay. I'll give you oh, the I, Ilia one. I think I've... I feel like you have it, or I gave it to you already. I feel like I've tried the Alia one. Maybe I haven't. Oh. Try this A one. Yeah. So I want to make sure we talk about your fashion line, Prem. R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah. Can you talk to us about just the idea behind it and the process? And- yeah. So the idea, it was a really, really big labor of love between myself and Gabby Gregg. Um, We have worked in tandem with each other since we started. Uh, We met on a live journal community before we were blogging. And um, it really just started as a response to us constantly being told that the plus size customer and the plus size woman didn't want a certain kind of fashion. And we were like, no, but we are that customer and we have a community of that customer. And we know that they do want really daring fashion. They do want to be able to wear bright colors and body conscious styles and oversized styles. And there was kind of this assumption that like, if you are a plus size woman, regardless of your age or where you live or what your lifestyle was like that you only dressed a certain way or would want to dress a certain way. And we're like, that's bullshit. Like there are as many different kinds of plus size women who have different styles as there are people in general. And so um, starting Prem was really a response to that. And it was very much a love letter to our community. We were working on it for about three and a half years before we came to market. And what year Um, did you launch it? We launched in 2017. Okay. So we were working behind the scenes for a really, really long time. Um, And uh, we launched in 2017. We did it for two years. It was amazing. Uh, We had a lot of fun with it. Every day I get DMs asking to bring it back. Uh, But... You know, honestly, it's just it's very difficult to scale an ethical fashion brand without outside backing. 
and um you know we did very very well but um it's a really hard business and we were doing it mostly by ourselves which a lot of people don't know um but I loved it. And I think like I get asked all the time if I would do it again or if I would. That's do what I was just going to ask again. you. And it's interesting because I think if I were going to do a fashion line again, the only way I would do it if, is if it was completely sustainable and ethical and um, very, very focused. And that is really great on a principled level. It's just hard to scale a business with those factors in mind without a lot of outside money and resourcing and outside capital. And so, I mean, yes, I would do it again, but uh, with a pretty specific vision of Mm -hmm. what I would want. Yeah. I think we can end with this question. What is something that's bringing you joy right now? Oh, my God. My dog, Frankie, and my girlfriend, Nina, absolutely. Like, the two lights of my absolute life. Um, they're, they're just both the best individually and together. <laughs> a dream team. It's cute seeing really them together. Yeah. Yeah. In the tradition of our podcast, you have earned your very own desperation minute. Can you tell people where they can find you on the internet, yes. what they can do for you? Um, yeah, they can find me online at Nicolette Mason. It's just my name on every single platform because I put no thought into branding myself. <laughs> and um, they can support me by following me and the work that I do, by sharing the work that I do. Um, a lot of my work is uh, just consulting with brands. And so if you work with a brand and want to work with me, you can reach out to me. Uh, That's all fed through my social media platform. So following me and supporting me on those channels really helps me do the work that people don't see a lot. Amazing. You've been such an incredible guest. This was a great conversation. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. It was wonderful. So what are you obsessed with? I have a few different things that I would like to talk about. I do too. So the first thing, and I I might have learned about this from you or maybe just Keys. I think you did learn about it from me. I'm, I'm not sure though. It's the Picture This app. It's great. And so it's an app that you download and then you take a photo of your plant and then it will tell you what your plant is and it'll tell you how to care for it. Yeah. So I have a problem plant that I literally just cannot figure out what to do with it. It was the one that I thought was dying and then I moved it and then it revived and it was, I moved it to somewhere sunnier and it was like doing great. But then I think now it's getting too much sun. So it's a very Goldilocks plant and I just, I I didn't know what it was called and I was like, I I don't even know how to look this up. So I saw, whoever I saw talking about this, I like saw it on stories and I was like, oh my God, I can finally figure out what this plant is. And then I did it like, so easy. I was like very skeptical. Yeah, it's great. So it's magic. If you are also a mediocre plant owner and you do not know what types of plants you have, you can just take a picture. Exactly. And it's free. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is I've gotten very into loft dresses. 
You've had some cute ones. Right? I have had some cute ones. I've been ordering a bunch because they're always on sale. Everything always on sale. They're always like 60% off. Totally. I'm like, is 60% off just like your resting price? If, if you're buying from Loft and you're not getting at least 40% off, like you shouldn't be purchasing. You, you should just have wait a credit card three, if you do that. No, not that. I'm just saying <laughs> you should just like wait three days because it'll be 40% off again soon. Yes. And like you can even get like to your point 50 or 60. So like you can get things really cheap. But I feel like I have a whole closet full of clothes, but in the time of COVID, a lot of it feels too dressy or like I don't want to wear it. Like I just feel like I've been dressing much more casually than I would if I were in normal times. Yeah. So I've bought a bunch of sundresses from them that are like comfy cotton type sundresses that I can wear, but I don't feel overdressed. Mm -hmm. So I've been finding some good things. And then... My last one is very controversial. I don't know that it's my obsession as much as you it's something that it I want to. This is a bad obsession. I'm, it's not I'm, my, I'm disappointed in you. It's not my obsession so much as just something I want to talk about. So <laughs> last week, Kate Kennedy from Be There in Five was talking on her Instagram stories about a couple of products from Amazon. And Kate, like, does not hawk products. So when she was like, I just need to tell you about a couple of things from Amazon, it wasn't sponsored. I was like, okay, I'm listening. So one of the things was Veet, which is like the hair removal cream. It's a depilatory. It's a depilatory. So <laughs> my experience with depilatories was I tried Nair once when I was in middle or high school, and it smelled like, oh, my God, it smelled so bad. Yeah. I remember using it once and being like. The smell of like the hair as it, it's like, it smells like kind of like perm. Yeah. Smells. Oh, yeah. It was disgusting. And I was like, no, no, no. So Kate was like raving about this. And she really like sucked me in. And I it, it was I got sucked in by the Amazon swipe up where I didn't even think about it. I was just like, let's go. Kate and I are gonna have words over this. So it came and um I was like, okay, let's try this. It worked so well. I did it on my legs. My legs are so smooth. I feel like I always miss spots when I'm shaving or like also just don't feel super motivated to shave and then I like catch the light glinting off my like long leg hairs and I'm like oh but you do feel like it's okay to how do you get the motivation to put this weird cream all over your body and sit there while it dissolves it only takes five minutes so I just like put it in I put it on five minutes before I got in the shower and then shaving feels less more convenient than that but it's just like spreading a cream on so I don't have to worry about missing a spot I don't know it felt easier or maybe I was just excited about a new product but I was like (laughs) Not, I was totally nonplussed by the experience of like putting something on and waiting five minutes. Okay. Cause you didn't, you don't need to like wet your legs first. So it wasn't like I needed to like get in the shower and get out. Like, yeah. It's just like very easy. It worked so well and my legs are so smooth. But now I have, then I was like thinking about it more and I was like, for somebody who like tries to use natural products, I'm like, I'm sure this is like, you feel the bad about worst the, the Charlotte Tilbury cream. I know. Which you use a tiny amount. You just spread this chemical thing all over your legs. <laughs> Someone's going to like go on and leave us a review saying, I'm mean to you, but I'm not mean to you. I'm just concerned as a I, friend. Well, I know. So now I'm very, I'm feeling very conflicted because I'm like, wow, this works so well, but I'm like, this is probably terrible for you. Yeah. I don't know. It didn't smell bad at all. It actually smelled good. It was like passion fruit and aloe, I think was the scent. Um, that sounds great. But I'm not going to use it. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it like worked so well. And I'm very conflicted about how much I liked it, knowing how chemical it is. I, yeah. I did try to look it up. And it seemed like most of the negatives were about 
incorrect use about leaving it on too long and like getting a chemical burn from it. Yeah. But I assume if the chemical is that harsh, like it can't be good for you. Yeah. I feel like there's so many chemicals. We just don't know what's in them. I know. There's not enough research to tell you if it's bad. But to me, if something can dissolve your hair, it's probably shouldn't go on your body. Well, well, I'm glad you might feel my smooth legs. Okay. Here. Where are they? Right here. They feel feel smooth, but, like, not, like, so smooth that I'm, like, oh, my God, I need to go buy this. Well, I mean, that's because my skin is dry, but (laughs) I have no hair on my legs. I don't know. I I don't know what to say about this. It was an impulse purchase that I now feel very conflicted about, especially knowing how well it worked. Okay. I just needed to talk about it. I felt like I needed to put it out into the universe. Well, I don't know what to say. I'm happy that you have smooth legs. Thanks. What about you? Okay. I also have a couple. The first is um, her name is Tracy Hervey, and it's Tracy with an I-E, Hervey, H-E-R-V-Y. And she is a ceramicist. She is a black ceramicist. Um, What led me to her was that I wanted to get Carly Heitlinger a engagement gift. So I spent a lot of time. I wanted to get her something from a black-owned business, but Carly's style is very preppy. And I was nervous that I wouldn't be able to find something that would fit her aesthetic because most of the ceramicists I follow are very like brightly colored or like they're a little wild. And I was like, Carly, like I could just, I wanted to get something that she could put like in like her peonies in. And I found this designer. She has the most beautiful ceramics. They're quite expensive, but I ended up buying her this really beautiful vase that's shaped like a jar. And then I went and I bought myself one too, because it was so pretty. So Highly recommend supporting her. Her stuff is beautiful. Um, She doesn't sell. She only wholesales, but I found her stuff on a site called Bloomist, and they have amazing things too. Like they also have all these really pretty botanicals. It's like a really cool website. Then I got um, a bunch of candles from a company called the Harlem Candle Company. Oh, interesting. And they have amazing candles. Um, I like that there's two wicks in them and all the glasses are like really beautiful. Like there's one – my favorite one is like this map of Harlem. Oh, this is beautiful. Yeah, right? What scent did you get? Um, I cannot remember, but I will put it in the show notes or the Facebook group. I got a few. So they have a holiday candle and I love holiday candles. Obviously, it is not the right time of year, but I'm already excited. Because it was green. I like anything that's like piney scent. Yeah, it smells great. But I got it because I wanted the jar because the jar is like my favorite color green. Yeah, I need to read up on these. Most of them, other than the holiday ones, have like names. Yeah. So it's not clear to me yet what they are. But I I DM'd them and like got some recs because I got one and I like love the jar but wasn't crazy about the scent. So they they gave me some recommendations. Maybe I'm just going to smell all of yours. Um, Mine haven't all come yet. I only have two. Oh. But – um. Love them. And the last one is a skincare one, and it's the Shani Darden Retinol. And everyone has told me to try it. I've been testing it for um, like six weeks, I want to say, and it's great. What I like about it is that it also has lactic acid in it. And, you know, lactic acid is like my favorite ingredient. So you can use it every other night, and you're getting your acid plus your retinol all kind of combined in one. It's definitely strong. After I use it, I like to put Vintner's Daughter on or the um, the Lord Jones Acid Mantle Repair Cream, which is like a good like neutralizing moisturizer. What are we talking about in terms of price here? 
I think it's like $80. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, it's not outrageous. I didn't know if this was another botter thing where you're like, I'm obsessed with this and it's like $300. No, and I am obsessed with botter. I know you are. And the jar lasts me a while because I'm always doing other things. But too. I just wanted to check with you to understand uh-huh. where this was. Yeah. Yeah. The the, the the Tracy Hervey vase is expensive. The Shawnee Darden retinol isn't that expensive. Okay. Yeah. On Instagram, I didn't bring anything. I, I'm just not... I don't know. I didn't – nothing – nobody came to mind. I did follow a lot of Nicolette suggestions from earlier in the episode who – some of them I was already following, but some of them I wasn't. And so um, I definitely got some new recs, but I didn't have anyone to bring to the the party today that wasn't already mentioned in the episode. I have a great one. Mine is at Celia B. Designer. So it's Celia, C-E-L-I-A-B. She has the most gorgeous dresses. They are like bright and fun and happy and like cool textures. Like she combines like really beautiful bright satin colors with like rickrack or lace or eyelet. And I'm obsessed. They're so cute. I can't believe you didn't know about them. No, I didn't know about her. Have you ordered anything from them? No. I've been very tempted in the past. Yeah. Um, But given our it's, – it's not wildly expensive. Like I think yeah. the dresses are – between like $150 and $300. Um, but, you know, given the current COVID times, I'm like, oh, I probably don't need a $200 dress. Yeah, yeah. But I've thought very hard about it. Yeah, I like her stuff a lot. I think like it's something that I would say is very my style where I'm like, I would pretty much wear anything on this website. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So I didn't bring anything to the Instagram party, but I brought a lot to the book party. So I finished Real Men Knit by Quana Jackson. And this is the book I was reading last week about a man who owns a knitting store in Harlem and has a will they or won't they thing with a woman who works in the store. So cute. If you like Jasmine Guillory, I think you will really like this book. Um, it has the same kind of like contemporary romance vibe. Very, very into it. Then I read One to Watch by Kate Stamen London. And if you remember, this was the book a couple weeks ago that Grace was like, Becca, you're going to love this. It's the best. It is the best rom-com I have maybe ever read. I loved it so much. It is so good. So good. So um, it's about a woman who is a plus-size blogger, and she tears this reality TV franchise a new one about how uninclusive they are when it comes to body type. And then she gets invited basically to be the bachelorette in this non-bachelor fake TV franchise. Um, It is so good. It is very funny and well-written and like rom-com-y. It is less sexy. There's some – There's a little There's a little bit of sex, but it's not like really – not dirty, but it's not like really romancy. Yeah. But it was so good. I read it in 24 hours. I loved it. Loved it. And then I'm just totally on a bender right now with contemporary romances. I feel like it's just like what I have the mental capacity for right now. So then I also started Party of Two, which is Jasmine Guillory's new book. And I'm about 150 pages in. And I think, not having finished it, I think this might be my favorite book of her so far. Oh, yeah? It's so good. I'm so excited. That's pretty – I'm going to probably read it in like two or three books. It's so good. Um, it's very fun. And um, if you read any Jasmine Guillory, you'll know that all of her books take place in the same universe. So there's all kinds of like interconnected characters. This one is about Olivia, who's Alexa from The Wedding Date's older sister. But they do not build on each other. So 
it's fun if you've read all of them because you kind of like hear callbacks to other characters, but it is in no way necessary. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, can I start with this book? Yes, you totally can. Like you don't need to have any context from prior books in order for it to be good. So I am loving it. I'm so excited. I have such a big pile of books that I want to get through in July. I do too. It's like out of control. So I'm apparently with all of my like meh weekends just going to be cruising through books. Same. What about you? Um, So I finished So You Want to Talk About Race, which was like my anti-racist read for June. And I, I loved it. I learned so much from it. Um, I can't recommend it enough if you're if this is I mean, I think everyone should read this book. And does the author narrate the audiobook or it's a different audiobook narrator? It's a different narrator. But, okay, but she is she's good. okay. Um, and there are kind of similar to how to be anti-racist. She works in personal stories, which I really love. So it's like a good mix of personal and academic. I think that I'm gonna take an audiobook break and um I'm finishing. I have like maybe like, an hour and a half left of how to be an anti-racist. And then once I finish that, I think I'm going to listen to Samantha Irby's book. Oh. Wow. No, thank you. Yeah. yeah. I think walking with Samantha might be my – Oh, I like that plan. My hobby for a bit. And then I think I'm going to try – not try. I think I'm going to read, listen to. So you want to talk about race. Yeah. I highly recommend this one. I think it's really digestible, Um, just really smart. Like, it made me think about a lot of things really differently, like especially privilege um, and then the concept of racism in general, which, you know, we've talked about here as well. The next thing that I started listening to, which I'm so excited about, is Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. And um, this is his memoirs of growing up in South Africa um, during apartheid. And it's really interesting so far. I'm probably I'm only like two hours in listening wise, but I'm just really enjoying it. I think that he touches on some really important issues while also like weaving in humor. And also he has like the best accent ever. So that definitely makes it fun to listen to. I've heard from many people that it's excellent. It's wonderful. And then reading wise, I am reading Older by Pamela Redman and I'm almost done with it. I'll probably finish it tonight. And that is the sequel to Younger. In this, um, Liza is now 50 and she – is she's just written her book younger and she's like teetering on whether to get back together with Josh. And then her book is, has been optioned into a TV show, which is funny. Uh, it's very meta. And this like very handsome movie star plays her boss. So she has kind of like a little bit of a love triangle between Josh and then the movie star that's playing her boss. I'm so, this is one of the books I really want to get to in July because I saw you reading it and I was super jealous. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually really excited that it doesn't rehash the same territory of the TV show. Yeah, it's it's different. And um, I don't know, it's just a really fun read. I felt like I wanted something light and, and silly. So that's what I reached for. Highly recommend. It's not out till September, but pre-order it because like that's the best thing you can do for an author that you love. Truly. And if you want more to read, definitely check out The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. It's our July book club pick. It is probably the best book I've read in 2020. Um, It's about two sisters that grow up in this small little um, town in Louisiana, and they decide to run away when they're 16. So they they go to New Orleans. And from there, their lives just take totally different paths. Um, One of them marries an abusive husband and ends up in the same small town. The other ends up passing for white and leading like basically a complete lie of a life. 
Um, and I don't want to say too much about what happens, but the story follows them all the way from the 50s into the 90s. And you see their sis- their daughters growing up and their the daughters' lives ultimately intersect. And it's just, it's so powerful and it's so well written. And I just get chills like thinking about it weeks after I finished reading it. I'm so excited to read this. It's one it's it's amazing. I and I I know that a lot of you guys are really excited that we chose this too. So I I can't wait to talk about it with everyone. And if you would like more of us, you can join our Facebook group where we're always in there chatting about books and podcast and other stuff, obsessions, things like that. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood. And I blog every day at the Stripe. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. 